0: Welcome everybody to our afternoon seminar, a chat with some gay Christians. Thank you so much for coming. My name is Jez and I'm part of the New Day leadership team. And this seminar is part of the Sex Questions stream. Hands up if you were there this morning. Great. Uh, Well, this morning, Ashley shared her story and looked at the question, does God love gay people? And then we opened it up to conversation between themselves and some questions from the floor and we're going to do some similar to that this morning except an extended version with some more questions and stories and up here on the side we've got uh, slido.com and then the hashtag sqchat and that will take you to the website that we're using where you can submit questions to ask them later and vote questions further up the list of importance that you think it should have so that we ask it um make sure that we ask it um we thought it would be a great idea to, to break out from this morning to have this extra time because we know that this is such a, a hot, hot topic, a big subject, sensitive issue for many and something that is really talked about a lot in our society. And I know, as I mentioned this morning, what they shared in their seminar for many of you will be the first time that you've heard perhaps a, a quote-unquote traditional Christian perspective on things articulated in the way that they did. Because for many of us growing up in a society like this, being educated in the way that we are, um, it's not a point of view or opinion that we often get to hear. And so I'm so grateful for their, a- Andrew and Ashley's courage and conviction and faithfulness in being willing to share this. In fact, just a moment ago, Andrew pointed out that five years ago, um, we had a man named David Bennett. You may be familiar with his book, A War of Loves. He was on site. And similarly, he did a, a seminar similar to what we did this morning. And then we had a breakout in the afternoon, similar to this. And Andrew said five years ago, there was about 20 people came in the afternoon. The difference in the amount of people here shows perhaps just the, how much this has become an accelerated topic of conversation and interest in our culture more generally in those five years, which is worth noting and pointing out that this is in many ways the kind of front edge of Christian apologetics or kind of lifestyle ethical discussions and debates that are going on. Uh, As many of you know that's why you're here of course. Um, None of the questions and things that we're looking at today we know is abstract or just theological and interesting as an ideas point of view. This is deeply personal. Deeply personal for many of you in the room uh, who either are same-sex attracted or wondering about your sexual orientation or you've got friends who are or you've got family members are or you've experienced the the negative press around Christianity and this issue. And so we know this is a very sensitive subject and that's why we want to be as respectful and honoring of them as we can as they share with the courage that they do and also treat one another's questions with the kind of respect and honor that they deserve and just to say this morning you were exceptional your questions are always very thoughtful uh, so thank you for that but um, to kick things off first of all why don't we just show our appreciation to them let's welcome them let's put them at ease let's give a round of applause <laughs> We've also got in the tent um, some members of the pastoral team who are here to pray with with us if at points in the seminar we're going to spend some time ministering and praying but after the seminar if there's questions that are left hanging and you'd like to talk Ashley and Andrew have both said they're not looking to rush off so if you're kind of sitting there going I really hope they answer my question I really want to talk to them there's going to hopefully be time for that after they finish the formal presentation part of it as well um, and there were people around your youth leaders and others that would really encourage you to make sure you talk to about the topic of today uh, if it's something that affects you quite personally okay So, let's kick things off. We're going to have, for the next 20 minutes or so, we're going to hear from Andrew and Ashley on their stories and then we'll open up to some Q&A. And if you've just joined, that's how you end to submit your questions. Slido.com and then use that hashtag. But first of all, Mr. Bunt, Andrew. (laughs) Um, I've known Andrew for many years now and uh, we are polar opposites in so many things. He is the most... In all things. Okay, in all things. The most organised, conscientious nice person you could hope to imagine and um it's always a treat when i spend time with him because i just i, just, I realize how bad i am it's quite a nice person and, and chaotic and broken bad. and disorganized so i'm like andrew i love you i think you're amazing um you're also a same-sex attracted or gay christian and that would be interesting at some point to hear why you, you differentiate between those terms uh, and what that's about but you're a gay christian who's choosing to stay single and celibate why don't you tell us a bit about your journey up until this
1: point I would love to, yeah. So I um, was really blessed and privileged to grow up in a Christian family. My parents were and are Christians who love Jesus, want to faithfully follow him. I actually grew up in the church where I currently serve as an assistant pastor. I, like a lot of kids who grew up in a church context, kind of had several points in my childhood when I made that choice to uh, become a follower of Jesus. I just about remember being five or someone around that kind of age and making that decision. I have a much more clear memory of being around age nine at a thing called Stonely, which was kind of like an all-age version, a new day that used to run. And so by the time I was hitting my teenage years, I was really clear that I knew who Jesus was. I decided to follow him. I wanted to faithfully follow him. I believed that he had forgiven me for my sins and that he'd welcomed me into a relationship with him. That's kind of how I wanted to live my life. And then I reached uh, my early teen years and I began to become aware of the fact that the attractions that I was experiencing develop as I went through puberty, as I hit teenage years, were consistently for guys, not for girls. And if I'm really honest, I think when that first happened, I didn't know what was happening. I'd had a very sheltered Christian upbringing. This was now almost 20 years ago. The world was very different. A lot has changed. Things have moved very quickly. I don't think I knew that some people are same-sex attracted or gay. But I was sufficiently kind of, I guess, uncomfortable with it, unsure about it, that I kept quiet about it. I didn't tell anyone about it. and just kind of kept it to myself for a number of years, really. Until one day... Probably four years later, in my mid-teens, when I guess I had begun to realize what this was and to process it a little bit. There was a a guy in our church who was uh, kind of mentoring me, discipling me, helping my walk with Jesus. And one day, he completely randomly said to me, is there anything else you want to talk about? You want to kind of share and and talk through? And rather, to his surprise, to my my surprise, I told him at the moment, actually, I'm experiencing attraction to guys. And I don't know what to do that. I don't know what that kind of looks like. And to be honest, I think he didn't really know what to do with that either. But what was so great about him in that moment, in the times that followed, is he didn't kind of freak out. He didn't run away. He didn't drop me. But he kind of admitted, actually, I'm not quite sure how to think about that, what to do there either. But let's journey together. And so we began a journey of kind of both reading some stuff, discussing some stuff. And that friendship was really vital as I was, for the first time, really, looking in the face of my experience and thinking, what do I do about this? And he was a uh, guy who walked alongside me and kind of helped me to do that. And then I kind of thought, how do I get from there and wrestling with what does this mean? How do I faithfully to follow Jesus? How I handle this to now as someone who thinks, no, I'm going to be single and celibate in uh, kind of faithfulness to Jesus. Two stages, really, of my journey took place. There was first this stage of wrestling with, well, what does God say? what does the Bible say? And if you were in one of the seminars today, probably this morning, I, I told the story of how God put me in a circumstance where I had to wrestle with that. Because a whole half of my A-level RS studies transpired to be about Christianity and sexuality. And I was in this class of uh, me and 12 girls, uh, none of whom were Christians, a teacher who was going to be a Catholic priest. He was gay, decided he couldn't live by the church's teachings, so became a teacher. And so I'm there wrestling, as the closeted gay guy, wrestling with What does the Bible say? What should Christians believe? But actually, it really made me Go back to the Bible, wrestle with it, explore, what does Jesus say? What does God say? I read some books around that, and it was kind of a really helpful thing. And what I found as I did that over a period of months is that the Bible does teach what I've been taught it teaches, which is that the only uh, kind of acceptable place for sexual and romantic relationships is in marriages of one man and one woman. That's what I've been taught, and that's what I saw the Scriptures do saying. If you've been with us since in the mornings, we've been trying to paint the picture of the way in which the Scriptures the Bible gives us that. So I had that kind of first stage. I was then, I guess, 17. I was, I still am, quite a pragmatic person. I was also quite naive, evidently, at 17. And I just kind of went, oh, okay. So God's saying no, no to a sexual romantic relationship with a guy, a marriage with a guy, whatever. I was just kind of like, that's okay, then I'll be single. I kind of, at that point in my life, I was just like, well, this is easier than this will be the answer. And then I went on for years, got to my early 20s, was away from home doing uni stuff and just began to realize this isn't quite as simple as I thought it was going to be. And actually getting into adult life, many of my friends who refuse older me often getting married, uh, just realizing actually maybe this isn't quite so straightforward. And really was wrestling not with what does God say. It wasn't really a doubt of that. The scriptures I felt were really clear. But actually the wrestle with was, well, God says this but actually, can I manage to live that out? It's kind of thinking, does this work? Is this possible? And that was a real, real wrestling for me. And what God graciously, wonderfully did in that season is bring such good people alongside me, friends who, again, were there to, committed, to walk through this journey with me, and particularly began to help me to uh, kind of experience and see that actually in friendship and in church actually operating as family, being the family we are, I could experience all of the love and intimacy that I was looking for and the things I was finding difficult in life because I thought I didn't have that because I didn't have a a boyfriend or a husband. Actually, God was showing me, you know, these things are still available to me even though I'm single and celibate. So I shared yesterday morning this breakthrough moment of realizing my issue wasn't about sex. All the time I thought it was about sex and God was saying I couldn't have sex with a guy, it was kind of like a brick wall Well, what am I going to do? When I realized actually lingering behind that desire actually was a good God-given desire for love and intimacy... And when I realized, oh, well, hang on a minute, that works in friendship, that works in church being family, suddenly there was a kind of a way forward. So my early 20s became this kind of wrestling with, but then this experiencing of, oh, this, this is doable. Not always easy, just as ask any married person, that's not always easy. Not always without loneliness, just as ask any married person, that's not always about loneliness. There are some common things actually wrestling in relationships we all experience, whether married or single. But I began to realize, actually, this, this really works. And I think I would now say, well, just over 10 or just under 10 years later, that's been my experience. Following Jesus isn't easy, but it isn't for anyone. And Jesus never promised it would be. In fact, Jesus promised it would be difficult. He says, Take up your cross, carry it, follow me. Sounds pretty uncomfortable to me. There's nothing unusual about what God is asking me to do. And my experience has been that I need to invest into good friendship, to doing family life with brothers and sisters in Christ. And that in that, my needs for love and intimacy are met. So my journey, I guess, is the thing of God says this, does this work? Yes, it does. And now seeking day by day to, to live that out.
0: I've got lots of other questions, but I'm going to hold myself back and uh, ask Ashley, because uh, your story is a bit different from Andrew. So why don't you talk to us a bit about your story?
2: Yeah. I'll apologize in advance. The sleep deprivation has definitely kicked in. I sat in this chair and felt my energy seep into the floor. So if I say something that doesn't make sense, well, it might be you. You're sleep deprived too, but it's probably me. <laughs> so ask clarifying questions. Um, yeah, I grew up in church as well. Um, I'm going to try not to repeat too much of what Andrew has just said because there are some some similarities. Um, it was never really a surprise to me in terms of my sexuality. I'm attracted to both men and women, predominantly women, Um that kind of became apparent to me at 15 when I started dating someone who was a girl that clued me in but that wasn't a massive shock at any point like they're looking back over my life I wouldn't have analyzed it in that way but I can see that that was kind of a theme running through um so yeah at 15 was dating this girl that kicked off for me kind of three or so years of wrestling with what has God actually said about this and do I want to do I want to believe it? Do I want to live in line with it or not? Is his way actually better than um, being in this relationship or pursuing these desires? And it's, it's something, again, that I would have thought about before in a church setting. We would have talked about it a little bit, but obviously became a far more intensely personal question uh, during those three years for me. So, yes, I was trying to figure out how I could navigate these feelings, how I could follow Jesus, if that could work together, if I wanted it to, all that kind of thing. And um, again, as I shared a bit this morning, just gradually came to a place where I have realized that Jesus is worth following, even in areas like this, where it's hard or it's painful or my heart doesn't line up with what God says is best for me, those kind of things. Uh, what else do I need to say? Oh, yeah, um, I'll just add. So I wasn't taught tons about this in church, like in terms of what the Bible says about sexuality. Um, so for me, it was less... Okay, I need to go away and think about what the pastor has been saying for the last few years or whatever it was it was a they taught me to value scripture. They taught me that the Bible is the Word of God and what it says is good and is true and is authoritative. so I went away and kind of did the did the research myself that 's just part of my personality as well um so I would just say that there is so much value in that in in wrestling with these questions and in coming to those conclusions for yourself and thinking it through um, and actually going to the Bible and going, does the Bible say? either what these people have said it says or what I think these people might have said it says, Um, that can just be a really helpful thing to do as well.
0: Great. Thank you both so much. Um, Many people might hear your story and think that God is just asking you to deny who you really are and that that that's somehow cruel and oppressive. What's your response to that?
1: Yeah, it really is a kind of common reaction. And a good reaction in the sense of it notes the importance of knowing who we are, which is so important, isn't it? No. Who am I is one of the big universal human questions, especially actually in our teenagers. years, the question we all naturally ask. We are coming to get to grips with who are we. And the reason we care so much about who am I is because who am I is the route to our best life. Who am I saying I need to live out who I really am to find my best life? So I kind of love the, the thought behind what people are saying when they say it to me. But then I've had to think through, okay, so people think I'm just denying my true self, not being true to myself, denying who I really am. So we have to think that through. And what I found helpful is to think, actually, we all ask the question, who am I? We forget to first ask the question, how do I find who I am? And so we ask, who am I? And we just kind of go along with what we're hearing in the world around us. And what the world around us is telling us is who you are is what you feel inside. Your feelings and your desires, that's who you really are. And you need to embrace that and express that to be true to yourself and find your best life. That's not hard to see in the world around us. You kind of see it in kind of the slogans, you'll see on pretty backgrounds on Instagram. You see it in the lyrics of films and, or the lyrics of songs. You see it in films. My favorite example, I'll try and keep this brief, but it's uh, Elsa from Frozen and the song Let It Go. Let It Go was such a cultural phenomenon because it perfectly encapsulates what we believe about identity. She's got all this stuff inside, and the whole song of Let It Go is this swirling, storming side. I'm no longer going to suppress it because people want me to. I'm going to embrace it, and I'm going to express it. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it out. The real me is coming out. And the narrative of Frozen is as long as Elsa suppresses who she is inside, bad things happen. Eternal winter in Arendelle. But when she embraces that and expresses that, good things happen summer comes and eternal or open doors at the palace and stuff, we're being trained to believe that what we feel inside is who we are. And so I had to go, okay, that's what culture's saying, but does that work? Is that the right way of finding who I am? And I'm just not convinced it is. For one thing, it puts us under huge pressure. If only I can know who I am because only I can feel my desires and my feelings and work out who I am, that's incredible pressure. None of you can help me work out who I am, only I can know that's a humongous way. Because if I get it wrong, I'm going to miss out on my best life. And it's made really complicated by the fact that we all have desires and feelings that kind of compete with each other. Well, if I really want this relationship and I really want this career opportunity, but they're in different countries or wildly apart different cities, mm. which one do I embrace to be true to myself and to find my best life? It kind of doesn't work. Our feelings and desires change as well, which adds to the lack of clarity and this pressure to find who I am. And then you get the problem of actually sometimes you build your identity based on what you're finding inside, you end up accidentally hurting people. If, say, I was um, a person who entered into a marriage with a woman, and then later I begin to realize actually I'm experiencing same-sex attraction, actually my desire is for this person, I might then say, well, that's who I am, I need to be true to myself, I need to be in a relationship with this person, and actually my wife and my children, if I had them, might get sacrificed upon that we end up unintentionally, unintentionally sometimes harming people if we base our identity based on what's inside. And the real problem, actually, is none of us really believe it. We say who we are inside is the real us. None of us really believe that. We all know we could look inside and find desires that aren't good, including sexual desires that aren't good, that we wouldn't say, yes, you do you, that's who you are, or things, feelings that we would say wouldn't be true, And we wouldn't say, yes, that's who you are, you do you. And so I just come to realize it just doesn't seem to be a good basis for identity to build it on my sexuality. And so I went to the scriptures and said, well, what does the Bible say? And from beginning to end, the Bible takes it for granted that who we are is who God says we are based on the relationship he has with us. God gives us our identity as a gift. You see it with Jesus. Jesus is baptized, and this voice from heaven goes, you are my beloved son. He's being spoken. His identity is spoken over him by God the Father. That's how it's meant to work. Well, what does God say about me? Well, as someone who's following Jesus, he says, I'm his child. I'm his beloved. I'm why he delights over and sings songs over. So that's who I am. How do I find my best life? By living out my true identity as a child of God, which will include stewarding my sexuality in line with what God says. And so when I choose to be single and set about a faithfulness to Jesus, I don't think I'm denying who I really am. I'm being true to who I really am. I'm being the most true to myself because who I am fundamentally is a child of God. And this is how God calls his children to live. So when people say I'm denying who I am by not acting on my sexuality, actually, I want to go, no, no, no. I think I'm being true to who I am because I'm a child of God.
0: Mm. Is now a good place to bring Toy Story 3 in?
1: When is not a good place to bring Toy Story 4 Oh, in?
0: thank you. Toy four. Story 3 is, is good,
1: you. but probably not the yeah, one Yeah, that's right. S- that's not
0: what we're talking about. We're we're talking no, about Toy, Toy Story, Story 3 four. is
1: good. Toy Story 3, the <laughs> toys... <laughs> you got me to Disney now. Toy Story 3, I think, is the one where the toys are feeling unfulfilled because they're left in Andy's bedroom. He's grown up. They're not being used as toys. They go to the nursery, and suddenly it's wonderfully fulfilling. What does that show you? It shows you it's when you're living in line with what you're created to do, that's where you find fulfillment. That's why it's so important we live, listen to our creator. The toys were unfulfilled when they're sitting on a shelf not being played with, because toys are designed to be played with. We will always be unfulfilled when we're not living Jesus' way, because we're designed to live Jesus' way. So, sorry. Toy Story, story, three, Toy is story good, 3
0: is good. But Toy Story 4 is something you've written about, and I think the illustration from there is equally helpful. So, you know, without.
1: We're not being sponsored by Pixar, but it's worth,
0: <laughs> it's worth
1: pointing it out. Toy Story 4, yeah, it was a long time ago I wrote that. You're now going into the recesses of my brain. Toy Story 4 is um, Forky. Um, is that the one you're thinking of? Yes, yeah. I am, yeah. So do you remember Forky? He's that spork, the plastic spoon fork thing, who Bonnie makes into a toy in Toy Story 4. Uh, And you get this scene in Toy Story 4 where Forky keeps running and throwing himself into the, the bin or the trash can, as they're calling it in the American film, because Forky feels like he is trash, he is rubbish. So he believes the place that he should be is in the bin. But the reality now is Forky's identity has been radically changed. He's no longer trash because Bonnie, his creator, has made him into a toy. And so Forky's best life isn't found in the trash can. It's found in being a toy, being played with by Bonnie and the other kids. And so the journey for Forky through this film is embracing that his identity has been transformed by his creator. And so his best life is found by listening to what his creator says, not just what his feelings might tell him inside. And that's exactly the case for all of us as Christians, isn't it? So many times as Christians, we don't feel like children of God. We don't feel like God delights over us. And there's all manner of in us, drawing us away from the things that God says is good for us. But we have to learn, no, no, fullness of life. My best life is found by listening to my creator because he knows, and he's transformed my identity and that's where our best life found.
0: Fantastic. Thank you
1: for the, the Pixar.
0: Is it now also a good place for the, the homosexual Viking warrior?
1: <laughs> it can be I think it fits know. with what you're saying you are talk about homosexual Viking warriors <laughs> <laughs> um, it fits with,
0: it's, it's in line with what you're saying it's not a complete yeah, careful
1: so Jez is talking about something that Tim Keller an American preacher has helpfully said about identity how we form identity And that thing of, I said, no, we look inside ourselves, we find our desires, but none of us really believe that. In reality, what we're doing is we're picking and choosing from our desires in line of what our culture tells us. So if you had a Viking who's walking down the concourse today, and he finds himself inside himself, on the one hand, he finds a deep desire to kill and murder and pillage and be really bloodthirsty. He also finds in himself a desire for other guys. He's sexually attracted to other guys. A Viking, because of his cultural context, is going to suppress and ignore his sexual desires for men, but he's going to embrace his desires to be bloodthirsty and to kill lots of people, because that's what his culture says a a good man is like. Flip it to if one of us is walking down the concourse today as a modern Westerner from the UK today, we might have those same two desires, a desire for violence and a sexual desire for men. I could walk along the street today... And my culture is going to tell me, well, the violence thing, that needs to be suppressed and pushed down and ignored. But the sexuality is who I really am. It's just a helpful illustration of in different cultures, we'd look inside ourselves and we'd find very different answers to who am I. But actually, Christian identity gives us a better basis because I might find that. I'm a sinful person, as we all are. I have sinful desires in me. Actually, I don't want to unhealthily squash those and ignore those and pretend they're not there, because probably they'll squeeze out somewhere if I just do that. But I don't want to kind of unthinkingly embrace all my desires. I want to go, I'm a child of God. I am loved. I am safe and secure in God's hold. I am delighted over him, which means I can face the reality of I might have a desire to be violent, and I might have a desire to have sex with guys. I can face those realities, and I can look at them. I can say, well, what do the scriptures say? I can make choices about how to respond to my desires in line with what God has said. So, actually, as Christians, we're not Viking culture, we're not even modern Western culture, we're biblical culture. God loves me, I'm a child of God, I can choose how I deal with these things inside of me.
0: That's really helpful. Uh, It's also worth pointing out that Andrew has a book on identity coming out. When?
1: Uh, November the 18th.
0: November the 18th. Look for Andrew's book on identity, um, which talks about Toy Story and Vikings and other such things.
1: I hope. Maybe.
0: Right, so Ashley. So Princess Elsa? Uh,
1: okay.
0: Um, I was, was going to ask you to sing. But we're going to do that. Ashley, let's come on to you. Uh, what would you say to any young person here today who is experiencing same-sex attraction or thinks they might be LGBT?
2: Yeah. Um, I had to write it down. Three things, because I can. I have the microphone. Um, first thing I would say is that Jesus is worth it. If you're not sure whether you want to follow him or not, because uh, you know it's going to mean giving up stuff in this area, you know it's, if you follow Jesus, that is going to have an impact on your sexuality in some way. He is worth that. He's so, so good. And yes, it will cost you. Yes, it might even hurt, but it's still worth it. He's actually better. His way is actually better. And obedience to him really does lead to life and gives you back more than you ever gave away. So... That was my first thing. The second thing is that the wrestling and the questions and the doubts, those are okay. Um, please don't take that as a free license to kind of experiment however you want. That's not what I mean. More that God is so patient and he will bear with you while you figure this out. In a lot of ways, I think I still am figuring this out. I still, I'm, you know, still have doubts or, or questions or wrestle with this stuff. And I'm 16 years into that but he, god is still so patient with me and so kind and so gentle just as he was on day 1 when i first started asking these questions um i think god generally in life he seems to like the the slow road and the slow process and things he's he's happier in the middle of a process than we tend to be uh, i always say god is a gardener and he knows that growing things well means growing them slowly so all that to say if if you have questions about this, if you are kind of where I was at 15, you're going, I don't really know. I need to figure some stuff out here. That's okay. You don't need to have it all sorted overnight. You can take the time that you need. He's not going to rush you. He can handle your doubts and your uncertainties, um, and you don't need to shy away from them or from him, which kind of leads me to the third thing I wanted to say, which is that you can be so much more honest with God than you realize you can. Uh, You can invite him right into your struggles with sexuality. You can actually talk to him about the details of it. He's not squeamish. He's not shockable. He's not going to be running away in holy indignation. And that's been so liberating for me because it means I don't have to kind of ignore or suppress my attractions entirely. I I can take them to Jesus and I can actually talk to him about them. I can talk to him about the specifics of what I feel or what I want. And I know that having that conversation is okay. He even welcomes that conversation. And I find that so helpful because as I do that, I find that he meets the deeper need, like Andrew was just talking about. Under all of our desires, there are these deeper needs that we have, and it is God that actually fills those. So when I'm attracted to somebody, I might go to God and I might ask him to help me understand what my deeper need is. What is it tapping into? Like Maybe I'm feeling the need to belong, or the need to be desired, or the need to be known intimately. And I can then ask him to show me how he fills that need in me, how he is enough, and how he satisfies Um, and that might be something he does kind of there and then in the moment, or just as I go about my life, he'll kind of point out to me, look, this is how I am enough for you. This is how I'm keeping my promises to you. So through this honesty with God, rather than just stamping down on my feelings, which I don't think is ever really a healthy thing to do, I'm able to come to him empty and wanting, and I can leave knowing that I'm seen and held and loved and filled. So, yeah, be honest with God. The wrestling and the doubting is okay, and he is worth it, is what I would say.
0: Superb, thank you. Um, Ashley, or Andrew, but I, I know, Ashley, your story is that you're attracted to both men and women, both predominantly women. Could you speak into the, anything you might have thought about the nature of attraction in general and how fixed it is or isn't? Because we're, we're growing up in a culture where, by and large, the messaging is, it's a fixed slap, this is who you are, and it's going to stay that way, so you better get used to it, and you better accept me because that's who I am. But I've, I'm, I've read something, heard something that's not always the case. It's not quite as binary as that. Perhaps you could speak into that if you've thought about that.
2: Yeah, I might um, talk a load of rubbish because this is something that I want to research more for myself. Um, but yeah, I think that sexuality is more fluid than we generally would give it credit for. Uh, I've heard that a lot of... Uh, um, yeah, okay, I'll say this. Um, I've heard that a lot of the research that's been done into human sexuality has been very male-based, so a lot of our assumptions perhaps are more... About male sexuality than female sexuality, so that I find very interesting. Um, but yeah, I think that it can be. This, I, I don't like l- I don't like labels like oh, I am I am gay or I am bi or whatever it might be because I do find that things change over the course of your life. Like the the way that my attractions worked, the way I experienced them 15 years ago is different to even my own mm. experience now. So yeah, I think it's more fluid than we give it credit for. Mm. And
0: you use the the term there about um just the, the labeling, I guess I'd like to just ask a question before I'm going to come to these next next. this is my last question, and then we'll come to the the group the group have been texting in um what you use the terms gay and same sex attracted what's the difference between them which is which should we prefer or not between those either of you on that
2: yeah. Um, yeah, for me, it's, it comes down to the identity thing. So if I use language like I am bisexual, I think it's, it's communicating to myself something that I don't think is true. Like my fundamental identity, exactly, 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 as Andrew was just saying, my fundamental identity is that I am a child of God. Like the identity statements that I make about myself need to be things that, like that that I find in scripture. So um, I prefer the language just personally of I, am, I experience same-sex attraction or I'm attracted to the same sex just because I think I find that helpful um, in distinguishing between something that's an identity statement and something that's more about a, a desire or an experience that I have.
0: That's very helpful. Any further?
1: So I am formally agnostic on this. So I refuse to reach a decision on point in it. Which is part, partly, actually, because more so in the States than here, the question of what language people actually know I should or shouldn't use for ourselves has become so debated and so unpleasant that I kind of refuse to take part in the debate. And the reality is both terms have problems and unhelpful uh, connotations and things they imply, even though they're not stating them. There is no unproblematic way of speaking of our experience, but also we should be able to speak about our experience, which is why you'll hear me interchanging between gay and same-sex attracted. You'll hear me, if I introduce myself, probably using both. I'm trying to make that point of I refuse to be drawn into what has become in some circles, just a really unhelpful argument. And the reason it's so unhelpful is it distracts us from the important questions of how do I faithfully follow Jesus and how do we all love LGB people and gets us stuck on a couple of words, which I don't really like. So Mm. it's not unimportant, but I'm choosing a sense to sidestep that, recognising problems in both, and so using both.
0: Great, thank you. Just uh, you used the phrase LGB people a couple of times. That's that's an acceptable term of reference, is it? I presume it is, you've
1: used it? I think so. Yeah,
0: okay, great. Because that's often the part of the, the challenge that we have in talking about these things, is not wanting to cause offence, wanting to treat people with respect and dignity, but aware that this is, as you said, a, a hotly contested area with lots of strong opinions either side. But anything you have to say on that is always very helpful.
1: Well, I just also want to, want to make the point of, language is complicated in this topic and it's controversial. So I was meant to make the two points of let's try and be careful and sensitive. So, you know, I'm always trying to keep up with what is going on in language so I'm not unnecessarily, inadvertently causing offence through my language. But also I always want to say to all of us, also let's try and remember language is only language. We all say things clumsily sometimes, you know. Let's, again, it's one of things I don't want to get involved in wasting my time on debates about language when what I care about and what God cares about are people. It's not unimportant, but I don't want to get too drawn into it.
0: Helpful. Okay. Big breath. Here we go. We've got questions. We're going to fire them at them. You, so you're well done for submitting the questions you have. We've had uh, 29 questions so far. We've got 20 minutes, so that's a question for every 55 seconds. Um, we won't go through them. We won't necessarily do them all. Just to say, some questions in here are about trans Um And we're not going to be... We're deliberately not talking about that today. Andrew has written on that. He's written a very helpful booklet, which you can buy online, called People Not Pronouns, which I'd recommend anyone buying. There are books available to buy in there. There is a seminar on it for adults, although if you're on the mature end of the youth, I'm sure it'll be accessible to you as well. Uh, On Friday, I believe, in the Youth Culture Seminar, so you're welcome to go to that. Otherwise, Andrew has spoken and written on this elsewhere, but we're not going to be directly engaging with that today. You can ask Andrew afterwards why that might be, but that's a rabbit. Okay, here we go. First question is, oh, we've had this this morning actually, where in the Bible does it say that gay relationships are not right and why is it that God doesn't
1: like gay sex or relationships? So there's two ways you can approach this. The way I prefer is what I did yesterday actually. It was actually what does the Bible say about sex in general? Because, of course, what we instinctively want to do is we want to go, where are the verses that say gay sex are wrong, which makes us get into that mindset of God's picking on gay people, this is different for gay people, God's issue with gay people. Well, no, no, God says, I have a beautiful plan and purpose for sex and marriage. And actually anything that falls outside of that whether that's in a context of two people of the same sex, people of the opposite sex, more than two people, anything outside of a one-man, one-woman relationship, whether it be lust in our heads, all of these things fall outside. So really the answer of where does the Bible talk about uh, gay relationships is well, in the way the Bible talks about marriage. So the pattern we're giving in Genesis 2 uh, and Genesis 1, actually, which talks about um, sex and marriage being procreative, as in for the production of children, which is two people of opposite sex, Genesis 2, that talks about it being a reunion, a one-flesh union, two being made one. But it's not a union, it's a reunion. Because if you read the story in Genesis 2, woman is created out of man and the man and woman are reunited again in marriage and in sex, which is probably a picture of heaven and earth being united as part of the bigger kind of Bible story. And then it's the stuff I talked about yesterday of sex is a signpost. It's meant to point beyond itself to Jesus. Marriage is meant to be a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. Those two are different, and therefore Scripture tells us in a marriage relationship the two people are different, and that man and female is the way it does that. So even if we had just that and nothing explicit on same-sex relationships – the framework shows us that anything outside of the one-man, one-woman marriage thing falls outside of God's acceptable boundaries for sex. But then the reality is there are kind of five texts in the Bible that do clearly prohibit same-sex sexual activity. So some of the Old Testament in Leviticus, a couple of passages in Leviticus 18 and 20. More importantly, Romans 1, which talks about all sins, all rebelling against God, being going against creation, God's creational intent. Then talks about the fact that we all experience disordered sexual desires. It talks about straight sexual sin before it talks about gay sexual sin, and then it talks about both male and female same-sex sex and prohibits them. And Paul also will do that in one Corinthians one Corinthians six and one Timothy one, where in both places he's using language from the Old Testament laws to give a New Testament instruction. And it's very general language. He's not talking just about relationships between an older man and a younger boy, kind of abusive relationships that happen in the, old, in the ancient world. He's not talking about cultic practices where you sleep with a cultic prostitute in the temple. He's deliberately making a new word, very general language. It literally means men in bed, basically, which is a euphemism for having sex. So he's very clearly giving a, a broad prohibition of all same-sex activity. So the Bible does specify it, but in a sense it doesn't need to, because understanding what sex and marriage about gives us the parameters anyway
2: yeah i'll just add that the thing that i find most compelling and convincing is that bigger narrative that bigger story like those those individual texts can be helpful for the conversation but it is that bigger story this um this marriage of jesus and the church the relationship between god and his people that you can see all the way through the bible um and I find it more helpful emotionally as well because I can look at the, that story, the beauty of that story, how incredible it is, and, and that makes me excited. As, um, as Andrew was saying, I think, yesterday, um, like that's the full movie that we're going to get to experience, this incredible union with God forever. That's what marriage is actually about. That's what it's pointing to. That's what sex is pointing us to. And so when I can see that and see how good it is and I get excited about that, it makes me a lot less interested in messing with what God has said about sexuality for here and now.
0: Thank you. Um, There's someone who's asked a question here. It's a good question. Uh, You asked it this morning as well. Bless you. Sorry, we didn't get to it this morning. I'm actually going to say this. There's a question about um, acceptable sexual activity within marriage. And I just wanted to signpost you that on Friday, we've got a seminar on relationships with a panel. And I think that's the sort of question that would fit really well there for the panel. So I'm deliberately not going to engage with that question here because it's not S- specifically about homosexuality. Even, is that an acceptable term, homosexuality? We don't seem to hear that anymore. It's just gay or same-sex attraction. I'm
1: just doing that thing again. I'm stumbling into words. Worth of deemed quite dated, deemed kind of a term that was used when being attracted to the same sex was medicalised. So homosexuality is okay. Homosexual tends to be deemed not okay. So referring to someone as a homosexual it sounds like a condition. Oh, okay. Um, homosexuality, yes. Yeah, going out of vogue.
0: Thank you. And I wouldn't want to be out of vogue. Um, why, here's a question from, from this. A great question. Bless you, this person. Why do queer people have to suppress their feelings when straight people don't? It's not a choice. How is that fair from a loving God?
1: That is a great question. And um, again, what I love in a question like that is what we're noticing is we want fairness. we don't, don't we? That's, there's good things in these kind of questions. They're showing we have God's heart, but God's heart is he wants fairness. He wants justice. And so when we think things like that, that's because we're echoing part of God's heart. So the question there was, how is it fair that queer people are asked to suppress the desires? A few different things to say. One is I would say, I don't know if what I'm doing is suppressing my desires. Because actually, as I tried to paint on Tuesday, sexuality is about Jesus. It's this signpost pointed to him. The purpose of our sexual desires is to learn from them about the passion that God has for us. His desire to be united with us, to point us to the relationship we can experience with him. So in a sense, actually, although I'm choosing not to act on my desires, whether in my mind or in my body through actions... I'm still learning from those desires of their ultimate kind of end goal. My sexuality is not wasted just because I'm not having sex. It still teaches me about God's passionate love and desire for me. So in a sense, when I want to say I'm not fully suppressing my desires in that way. Actually, I'm kind of following them through to their end goal. But also it's worth saying, well, we do all suppress sexual desires. That's true of all of us. All of us will have times when we experience sexual desire we recognize we have to suppress because it might be for someone who doesn't want to have sex with us, someone who's married, someone who in some other way is kind of unavailable to us. So we all recognize that suppressing sexual desire sometimes is the right thing to do, which means it can't be inherently unhealthy because we kind of all do it. And then the fairness question is complicated, and I think it comes down to, you know, things are unfair if actually we have a right to something. And that's where it's so helpful to keep coming back to. We don't have the, the need for sex. Sex is not a need to survive as a human. It's not a biological need. It's not a need to be a real adult or a kind of functioning, grown-up person. And also, sex isn't a right. In this way, marriage isn't a right. Marriage is a gift that God gives to some people. That's how the Scriptures talk about it. The scriptures talk about both marriage and singleness being good gifts. They're both ways we can thrive and flourish. Our assumption in our culture is that singleness and celibacy are worse. Scripture is teaching to us that singleness and celibacy are better. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is basically saying, you're really free to get married to someone of the opposite sex, but you should seriously consider not doing it, because here's some good reasons not to do it. So in a sense, I kind of want to flip the question on its head and say, it's not that it's not fair that God doesn't let me out to my desires and have a marriage. Maybe it's not fair that he makes some people get married, and he misses out on the goodness of singleness. That's actually what Paul the Apostle would say. The good thing is singleness, and actually, I want to flip on his head and say, aren't I lucky I get uh, living singleness, living undivided devotion to the Lord, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 7, because actually the scriptural perspective is, I'm one of the lucky ones. Well, I think, just as one of the unlucky ones... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Marriage is good too. I must clarify that for the recording. Marriage is good too.
0: I think it's... uh, recognizing that we all have a part to play in a cosmic drama like my part is to try to image christ to a wife and to embody that part of the story and just as you have a part to play and i think it's worth recognizing we're under authority we're under god and we don't get to decide in one sense what parts we play and and by the way i think when when the impossible talks about the gift of singleness people sometimes freak out like i don't want that gift what if i've got that gift Whereas I think the most helpful commentary I've read on it just says, when Paul talks about the gift of singleness, what he's really saying is if you're single, it's a gift right now. And if you're married, it's a gift. If you're single, you have the gift because you're single because it's a gift. And if you're married, you have the gift of marriage because it's a gift. Um, You've answered this question, but it's come up a couple of times. Uh, Presumably, you experience sexual frustration like everybody else. It's not like because you made this decision your life is now solved, and you haven't got any sexual frustrations or problems to worry about. So I'm not necessarily going to an- make you answer that question because you kind of answered it there. But it's come up a couple of times, so that I'll just be explicit about it in asking it. Um, this is uh, again, it's, I think it's, it's an emotive question. I think it's really important to engage with the reality of what this individual's feeling. How am I supposed to hide my feelings or suppress them about certain people, even if I really like them? It will end up hurting a lot, which I think is a beautifully honest question, uh, and it's not necessarily, it's not a theological one, but uh, how do you deal with this? It, it no doubt hurts a lot. You talked about in an earlier seminar about being in a relationship with a woman, and that relationship ending, and so you've also kind of got the memory of the, the kind of tenderness that you felt in an experience of romantic love. Suppose you could speak into that for us, Ashley. Yeah
2: yeah um, it does it does hurt and that sucks so if you sent that question in I'm sorry Um, I think all I really want to say is go to Jesus with that I'm just going to repeat some stuff I said earlier like he he understands you he understands pain like you can talk to him about this Um, I'm going to stop there I'm too tired I'm going to do that
1: that's good it's helpful one of my um, friends and colleagues at Living Out says he kind of describes the experience of being a Christian who's same-sex attracted as being both temptation and suffering there's the draw to go away from God's path of flourishing for us and also there's pain in there and that's just That's part of Christian life. That's true for all of us. We all experience temptation and suffering. And a really practical thing I would say is to have people you can talk to about. So it happens to all of us. All of us at different points in life feel a strong draw to someone, have a a crush or whatever you want to call it. And so for me in my situation, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share that with close friends for two reasons. One is I want them to help me faithfully follow Jesus. I want them to help me, encourage me, spur me to follow him even when it's painful. But also I want someone to go, yeah, that must be really tough and I'm really sorry. And I want someone to go, you know, when they know that I've been in a context with maybe someone I've got a crushing on at the time, I want them to be asking me at the moment, how are you doing? That might be hard for you know. You do want to come around this evening or whatever, actually. just We just love each other and support each other in that. But also the little point I want to make, and this is kind of a point I make time and time again, I think it's so important to realise it, that's not an experience that's unique to same-sex attracted people. We might be opposite-sex attracted and single and have a crush on someone who just isn't interested in us. Or we might be married and actually... feel we're developing feelings someone we're not married to and we need to deal with those because it wouldn't be right for us to act on those or might have feelings someone who is married it's not right to act on those it is part of same-sex attracted experience but by far it's not unique to us it's something everyone will experience different times in life
0: thank you Um, okay so we've got 12 minutes left I think it'd be lovely to spend the last five minutes just inviting the holy spirit to kind of ground some of this and just wait and pray so let's take five or six minutes more of questions um a couple of people asked about asexuality um what if you you just aren't interested is that okay if you're not interested in sex with anyone and you're kind of happy on your own what's your reflection on that
2: yeah i mean i'm i'm not asexual so i don't i don't have that experience um in terms of yeah being able to talk about it like that um but i'm I don't see why, if I'm wired the way I am, Andrew's the way he is, you are the way you are, I don't see why asexuality would be a, a non-thing. Um, yeah, and I mean, we're all built differently. We all have different experiences. That That's okay. That's how we're meant to be. Um, so, yeah, if you don't experience sexual attraction for yourself, though, I still think that you can appreciate this story, the biblical story, Um even if it's not something you experience yourself, you get to look at people around you and understand by looking at their lives and maybe their marriages or their singleness or whatever it may be, um, just understanding more of how God pursues us and what that is like. So even if that's not something perhaps that connects with you in that way, I still think that that big biblical story has so much to say to you.
0: Yeah, I think it's helpful when you're in a sex-obsessed culture, if you don't if you're not particularly driven towards and interested in sexual activity, you can feel like I'm somehow broken or a freak. And it's really important to hear that you're not. And it's our culture that's broken, actually, not you. Um, Okay, next question. What does the Bible say about polyamorous relationships? And what even is that? Be helpful.
1: So polyamorous relationships would be sexual and romantic relationships of more than two people, where everyone is aware of what is going on and is okay with, going on, okay with what's going on. So it might be an open relationship, it might be two people who are married, and they're aware that they are individually having a sexual relationship, maybe a romantic relationship with other people, and they're kind of okay with that. It might be a throuple as in a relationship with three, could be more than that, different kind of forms that this can take. Again, we want to come back to as Christians, okay, what's God's plan and design and vision for sex? Is that sex is part of this image of this picture of the union between Christ and the church. And we've talked about how that's a, a lifelong union because actually it's a picture of a committed, ongoing, faithful union between Christ and the church. We've talked about the fact that's between two people who are different, a man and a woman, reflecting the difference between Christ and the church. And also then we can talk about the fact that it's a relationship between two people because Christ and the church are two. There's a husband and a, or a groom and a, a bride. And so therefore the correct parameters for sexual relationships as God has designed them is between two people. So polyamory, like everything other than the one-man-one-marriage thing, kind of falls outside of God's plan and design for sexual relationships and therefore I think isn't acceptable in God's eyes, as it were. Again, that big picture helping us see the reason for God's instructions, not just some black-and-white rules.
0: So the, the difference between polyamory and polygamy is that the one
1: isn't married and the other one is. is yeah, that exactly. It? Um, um, today, most people who are um, in polyamorous relationships or are interested in polyamory won't be interested in polygamy because polygamy has tended actually to be uh, polygyny, many wives, one man, many wives, and a lot of power imbalance and all sort of bad things going on there. It's kind of a very... Uh, guys doing bad things, generally speaking, so most people who are interested in polyamorous relationships don't like Putting me, yeah, kind of because of that, really. The other thing i just say, I think it's really interesting when you begin to hear the stories of people who identify as polyamorous or in polyamorous relationships, it's often you hear lines like, well, I really loved my wife and my husband, and then I realised I also really loved this person. And so it made sense to enter into this relationship. And because we live in this culture where love and sex are equated and where sex is the only way we think we can truly express intimacy and love with someone... We now live in a culture where if someone feels really close friends, they begin to think, oh, this should become sexual and that seems where it's happening. So I think what we need to do is reclaim friendship as a genuine, loving, intimate relationship which is non sexual. I think that's what polyamory is highlighting the need for, not actually a different model of marriage or a sexual relationship.
0: Thank you. Sorry, my brain suddenly was like, I need to get back to the question. So it looked like I wasn't listening to your answer. I wasn't. I was reading. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but they were. Okay. Um, as a lesbian, demigirl in a, in a church, I find it difficult to connect at youth because when they talk about things being LGBT and I don't know why they make it sound so evil. got uh, like a statement that I think's typical of much of the pain that many people feel and the confusion. Similar to a, a question that someone asked, um, really where they're, they're saying similar things that we've heard, like another question or statement is, it seems like a pretty crappy way to live your life if straight people can experience things that you're not allowed to. God made you that way for a reason. Again, we're seeing the power of perhaps the cultural narrative of identity and sexuality um, in, in both of those questions. But perhaps you can... S- speak into some of those two statements and questions again.
1: We've seen the power of the cultural narrative. We've just also seen the power of being humans who are sexual beings. So, you know, it's just kind of... And you know, there's something good in the fact that we're now able to articulate these myriad of experiences we're having. It's kind of... It's mm. that as well. Yeah. And, yeah, I want to affirm... I, re- I remember what it was like to be a teenager in youth group. Sometimes I still end up in church contexts where it's still like that, where you do feel overlooked or not talked about, even kind of a bit kind of, you know, demonizes and kind of seen as rather weird. Um, we Christians have got to put our hands up and say, we've not done well on this. We're still on a journey. You know, we do stuff like this at New Day because we're so passionate about making our churches uh, safe places where LGBT people feel they are safe to talk about their experiences and be honest about that and wrestle with what does faithfulness to Jesus look like? And so one of our hopes for this is actually we're starting a conversation you can continue in your local church context. Mm. So I just want to echo with the, um, the, I guess the emotion expressed in those questions of, yeah, I know what it's like. I shared this morning, I remember sitting in a New Day seminar when I was a teenager, And all this talk being about all these gay people out there, and there's this sense of, but I'm in here. Should I not be in here? Should I be out there? And we're we're getting better, but we've not got there. And so I think that... But also I think because our understanding of these things, our conversation about these things has changed so quickly, all of us just need to have a bit of grace with each other. It just is hard, actually, to learn about and understand experiences that you've never had. So if your youth leaders seem a bit behind the times of LGBT stuff... It's just them maybe experience they've never had and they're not maybe around so many people like you might be who I having those experiences and they're just trying to catch up. And so just actually share some of your story. Help them, because actually many of them really want to learn and understand what your experience is like, but
2: just don't know how to or haven't had a chance to. Yeah, just to add, um, I didn't talk to anyone in my youth group about this. It was... Um, probably not until I was 22, 23, that I started being more open about it. Um, And I wish I had. I I don't actually know how it would have gone down because I never had the conversation. But looking back, I wish I'd just had people who knew... Um, and who could have asked me those pointed questions when I needed it or just helped me and encouraged me. Um, So yes, it can be very difficult and similarly to Andrew, I've had experiences where you sit in a setting and they seem to be talking about those people out there and you're going, oh, okay. Um, But if you can find a space or a person who seems safe, I would just encourage you that that is a very helpful thing to do.
0: Um, Thank you, guys. Now, I appreciate... When We haven't got, and we don't get through lots of questions in these times, partly because we don't want to just give quick-fire answers to emotional and important questions. Uh, I'm going to end with one more question before we um, pray. But also, as I do this, I just want to acknowledge the fact that if you're gay or experiencing same-sex attraction, I want you to just notice by looking around and by considering this morning how many people on site care about this question and want to love and serve you and and care for you well and create youth groups and churches that are full of compassion and grace and create communities of flourishing for you that you're not you don't need to be lonely or alone or feel like an outcast or different from everybody else you're in a community of hundreds of people on site but this is i think an expression of how people are feeling generally back in our churches of people who are genuinely supportive and really interested in your experience and won't demonize you don't want to demonize you won't cast you out but the question that's come up a few times from people i think it's a beautifully honest simple heartbreaking question in many respects it's the question why am I gay? I didn't want this. Why has God made me this way?
1: Yeah, questions. We've asked, I'm sure, lots of people ask. And again, question different of us. will ask different things about why it's happened in my life, God. Why? First thing I want to say is good questions to ask. Again, go to the Psalms I mentioned this morning, that book of songs and poems in the middle of the Bible. You'll find pretty much every experience, every expression of emotion, and so often the word why is very prominent. God can cope with our whys. doesn't always give us answers but he can cope with us asking, and sometimes throwing those things out there is important. There are two types of answers I can give to the question, I guess. One is, reality is, we're all living in a world that is impacted by the fact that we as humanity have turned away from God. All of us have broken sexualities, in the sense of all of us experiencing our sexualities, as in our physical bodies, as in our minds, some of the impacts of a world that is not as it should be. So my experience of same-sex attraction is just one example of that which everyone kind of experiences. So again, I kind of remind myself, actually, my experience isn't totally different from everyone else's experience. And also, I think I was going, so why am I same-sex attracted? Why has God planned things that way? Why is it worked that way? I don't know the answer, but I do know it's one of the things in my life God has most used to deepen my relationship with him to cause me to take him seriously, to cause me to pursue intimacy with him, to cause me to um, just, yeah, uh, seek to build my life on what he says and faithfully follow him. And so I don't know why, and there are days when it's frustrating and maybe I feel like life would be better if I wasn't same-sex attracted, but I also think I'm following Jesus in the way I am today because I'm same-sex attracted, and frankly, that's been worth it. So I don't know why, but I know God's used it for good, and for me, that's, that's kind of how I'm able to find peace in that right now.
0: Also, may, if you allow me to just chuck this in, it might be relevant. But I remember talking to David Bennett, who he mentioned, wrote this book, A War of Loves. And he says, for too long, the church answered the question about sexuality through the moral framework. Is it right? Is it wrong? Whereas actually, David said his experience, and he says the experience of many gay people, is actually an experience of suffering. This is, in the, in the first instance at least, not something that I want. Because, I, you know, I want to be like everybody else. And yet I feel like I'm separate. So actually it's an experience of suffering. Therefore, the church's response more needs to be the response to someone who's experiencing suffering. And that's to come alongside them with compassion, love, enter into their situation as much as they can with understanding and empathy. Rather than bringing the, the always bringing the moral sword of this is right, this is wrong. And I just think that, I found that very helpful. Would you say, is, that, is that a helpful thing that David shared? Reflective reflective in your experience as well why don't we stand together i'm just going to invite ashley and andrew to just pray over us and invite the spirit to just kind of settle things in our hearts that he may have said or may have stuck out to you this afternoon as we've been speaking
1: spirit of god we do invite you to come here right now Thank you, Lord God, you're the God of all compassion, the God of all comfort. Thank you, you know, whatever questions it is we've come with, whatever pains and struggles or wrestlings we are carrying. And thank you that your heart for us is a heart of love, heart of mercy, heart of compassion. You're the one who goes after the one, you're the good shepherd who goes after the lost sheep. You're the the father who welcomes in the prodigal, who's looking from far off, longing for us to come to you, longing to embrace us. Thank you, you're a God who is better than we could ever imagine. And we pray, Spirit of God, right now, would you let that settle in our hearts? If talking about this stuff has maybe felt painful, maybe felt unsettling, maybe we're really wrestling with, man, what does my life look like if I'm choosing to follow Jesus? Oh, Spirit of God, would you come and bring peace to us? Would you come and bring comfort to us? Come and bring strength to us where we need it. Come bring revelation of who we are, that if we have chosen to follow you, you call us your children, and that is who we are. Spirit of God, pour the love of the Father into our hearts, that we might tangibly know that love and that intimacy that we get welcomed into with you. Father, when well, we're on journeys of exploring this, would you give us the strength day by day to journey that? Give us the people alongside us we need. Give us the, the grace and the patience, Lord, for what can be long journeys. But help us know that you're with us on that journey. It's not go off and sort it and come back to me. It's no, no, step by step, I'm with you. Lord, right now, refresh us. Fill us. Let us know your goodness, your love, the mercy, your compassion, your tender heart towards us.